Today's readings taken from Psalm, chapter two. Why did the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, "Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles." The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in His anger and terrifies them in His wrath, saying. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, "You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possessions. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth." Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate His rule with trembling. Kiss His son, or He will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction. For His wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are those. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. This is the word of the Lord. Great, thank you, Victor, for praying. Rebecca for reading. And let's keep that passage open. So we're going to look at it closely. Great. And welcome to those who are watching from home. It's great that you are with us in this way. But、uh, I wanted to start with a question. So, which do you think is more important—the the cross or the resurrection for Christians? Now, of, of course, they're, they're both essential, right? We we know that. But just as a Christian, what, what do you think plays a bigger role in your life, in the lives of most Christians? What do you think? Do you think it's the cross? Maybe raise your hand. No, no one thinks.、So. Oh, one, yeah, good. <laughs> or the resurrection? Oh, a lot more. Okay, so this is not what I expected. I thought most people think, well, actually, the cross is much more、uh, important, right? We have a cross here at the back of the stage.、Uh, people, they have a necklace、uh, with a cross, not with an empty tomb.、Yeah, we have a special service on Good Friday, and Easter is just a normal Sunday. At the same time, why do we meet on Sunday and not on Friday normally? It's because of the resurrection, right? Now sometimes we think the cross is more. Yeah, that's what our focus is. Is when we confess our sins, we remember the cross every service. But actually, the resurrection is, you know, it's a huge thing. And especially if you read the book of Acts, right? The first church, it talks about them constantly. They were preaching the resurrection. Right?、Uh, they, of course, they mentioned the cross as well. But the resurrection was was huge. And you know they went to prison. They got into trouble for the resurrection. I don't know what you think about that.、Right? Maybe this is a bigger thing than we、uh, thought. So, in a way, it's going to be three more weeks of Easter. I want to spend three more weeks looking at the resurrection.、Uh, it's like a diamond, just like the cross, with different angles,、uh, different facets that we maybe haven't thought about yet. And hopefully, that that will help us、uh, appreciate it more. Yeah, and what does this mean for our lives?、Uh, even if you're here and you're, you're a visitor,、uh, hopefully that's helpful for you because the resurrection—I I, I would argue—it's a historical fact. 
Christianity is based on historical facts of Jesus, you know, his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. But it's not just a fact. It is something that means something. And it will yeah, change our life. I mean, I see the first church, I see the apostles, and I think they were changed by the resurrection. I would love for all of us to be like that. So that's what I, uh, yeah, it's my aim for these three weeks. Different facets, sometimes challenging, uncomfortable, uh, other times assuring and wonderful. Uh, but let's look at the resurrection together. And I want to do that from, uh, well, the Psalms. Uh, mainly, because actually that's what the apostles did, right? They went and preached a sermon about the resurrection and they came up with the Psalms. So here is uh, Paul in a synagogue and he says, well, we tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising Jesus. As it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. I don't know if you think that versus anything to do with the resurrection, but Paul thinks it, right? He sees the psalm we just read, and he sees the resurrection. So I thought if we look at this psalm, that will help us, uh, yeah, see the resurrection. And I think this is a famous psalm. I think most of us know it. It's quoted lots of times in the New Testament. And, and I think we know why it's important. This psalm is about God's king. It's the only place in the Bible where the King and the Son of God and the Anointed One are all mentioned in kind of in one passage. Uh, this, this is, that's what it's about. It's about God's Anointed King, and of course that's Jesus. We know that. But uh, what I want to do, I want to go through the Psalm so that we, we get His message, then apply that to the resurrection, and then okay, think how would that apply to us? Okay, so that's where we're going. That's the agenda for today. But uh, let's look at this psalm. And when you read this, uh, it easily falls into four uh, parts with four different speakers. And, and it starts with, well, the nations rebel, right? Uh, look at verses 1 and 2. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers bend together. It's this worldwide conspiracy. Worldwide people are plotting and conspiring. Uh, against whom? Well, against the Lord and against his anointed, his, uh, his Messiah, his king. Right? Uh, they're so close together, the Lord and the king, but people are conspiring. Right? Why? Well, they want to be free. Uh, verse 3, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. It's quite contemporary, right? We, we see that a lot of people, they, they want to leave religion because it, it restricts them. And it tells us what to do. And I want to, I want to be free. I want to do what I want. It's very contemporary. Now, as you can see here, the Bible takes that quite negative. It says it, it's, it's rebellion. After all, God is, you know, he, he's our maker. He's the one who made the world, who, who made us to enjoy him. He's full of love and goodness and generosity. And then to, to reject his rule, yeah, that's, the Bible says that that's rebellion, right? To a good, rightful ruler. But what will God do with this? Well, it's very clear, next section, God, well, he disagrees, right? He, uh, he is not impressed. I mean, verse 4, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. I mean, come on, tiny, puny humans. 
against the God of the universe. I mean, it's not going to work, right? <laughs> of course. But he doesn't just laugh, right? He then speaks in his fury to these people. And he says, well, verse 6, I have installed my king. And he is kind of, uh-uh, no. I have installed my king. My king, he's installed. He's going to rule. Right? That's how he, well, he disagrees, right? That's just clear. God disagrees. And then, well, we get what he said to the king, how the king is enthroned. You are my son. Today I've become your father. And that's a bit of a confusing verse, right? Someone who says, well, today I've become your father, but he already existed. How does that work? Well, what you need to see here, that the son is what the king of Israel was named. He was called the son of God. Why? Because... Um, the son rules in his father's place. Think of uh, an old king, right? And he's reigned for a long time, and he's got an adult son who will be the new king. And he says, okay, you rule in my place, and I go and play golf, right? He hands over the kingdom to his son. You rule in my place. Well, that is kind of how the king of Israel was seen. I mean, not that God is playing golf, but, you know, God, uh, God is, of course, the true king, but... The, the, the king of Israel. You, you rule under God, kind of in his place, as the king of Israel. That's why the king was called the son of God. That's why it says, when, when the king is enthroned, when he becomes the king, well, now I've become your father, now you've become my son. Right? So it's enthronement language. It, it, it's, it's not about eternally begotten of the father, if you wonder. Okay? But enthronement. God enthrones the king. You are my son. And, well, what kind of king? The king of the whole world. Verse 8. I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. And, and what's he going to do? Well, he's going to deal with the rebellion. Right? He's going to, well, verse 9. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. It's a very visual image, right? Quite violent. So my wife, EJ, she loves these old English teacups and because they're so beautiful. And so I took one here. And the thing is, we have a few different sets with only kind of two or three of each because they're, they're so fragile. But they're really lovely. And then, of course, well, here is a roll of iron. I mean, it, it, it's hollow, it's not, it's not like a crowbar, but yeah, I mean, who's going to win? Right? I, I think this is the image here. This is what the king is going to do with those who reject God. That's what it says. Which you may think, well, how terrible, but I, I hope, I mean, rebellions put down is a good thing, right? We see Myanmar, there's been a coup there. And the people are suffering. Wouldn't it be great if someone just ends that coup, right? And peace is back and, and order is back. Wouldn't that be great? Well, that's what we're talking about here. But yeah, if that is what the king is going to do, well, do something. Verse 10. And therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Uh, serve the Lord with fear. And serve the Lord, you know. <laughs> of course, you're not going to rebel. You're going to serve him. And especially the king, Right? Kiss his son, it says. And you may think kiss, right? You may kiss the bride. 
uh, think of, uh, or maybe this, right? Uh, you fall in front of the king on the ground and you kiss his feet. It's a picture of absolute submission, right? He is the king and then you submit. Kiss his son. Uh, I, I hope you can see the picture, right? That's the flow of this psalm. Here, the nations rebel. Well, God says, no, uh-uh. I've installed my king and this king will come and judge us to do something. Although you then wonder, what is this to do then with the resurrection? Well, did, did Paul get this verse wrong? Well, I think it's very simple. You, you look at the flow of this psalm, right? What happens to the king if you just read these verses in order? And then you can see that he's resurrected because uh, what happens to the king? Well, he, first of all, he, he's rejected, right? Verses 1 to 3. But then God says no and installs him. It's like this kind of uh, Nike swoosh, right? Just he goes down and then he goes back up again and then and, and he rules, right? That's the, that's the picture here. The rejected king is, is vindicated. Well, that's exactly Easter, right? What happened on Good Friday? Well, Jesus was rejected. Here is the king of love coming to his people. And what do they do? They kill him. They say, we don't want this man to be king. And they kill him. I mean, how much more can you reject someone than killing them? And so the New Testament says, yeah, these first few verses, that's the cross. Again, in Acts, eh? uh, the apostles Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. But then, after he had been killed, what did God do? Well, he raised him from the dead. He said, uh-uh, no, this is my king and he's going to rule. Right? That's the resurrection. It's, the, it's God bringing him back up and installing him. And that's why this is the resurrection. Right? It's like the Supreme Court overturning a lower court. Right? Here's the Jewish council, their verdict, Jesus is guilty. And then the Supreme Court, the Lord, he says, uh-uh, no, not guilty. He's over, it's overturned. Uh, can you see? So th- th- that's why this verse is the resurrection. Eh? You are my son. The, the king is raised and installed and appointed. Right? Uh, it's not just in Acts, uh, Romans who through the spirit of holiness, Jesus, was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection. I hope you can see that, right? But I hope you can see the message. I thought, let me give a, 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 you know, a human illustration. I wanted to do a Hong Kong one, but it probably upset people. So uh, I don't know if you know who this guy is, anyone? Maybe someone from the UK? Well, this guy is called Ed Miliband, and a few years ago, he was the leader of the Labour Party. He was the kind of the opposition party uh, at that time. And, I mean, he never looks good on photos. Uh, people didn't really like him. His own party didn't really like him. Uh, of course, the, opposi- the, the main party, the Tories, they uh, laughed at this guy. Now, imagine that they had an election, and there was a big... Uh, surprise, like Brexit, and suddenly Labour won. Well, then this guy becomes the Prime Minister, right? But what would happen? Well, he goes to Parliament. Are they going to accept him? Well, probably not, right? They're going to laugh at him, and they're going to take some tomatoes and some eggs, and 
kind of throw it at him and then just chase him out of the building. They don't want him. Well, two days later. It's quiet, but then two days later, what happens? Big commotion on the street. And here is the golden carriage stopping in front of Parliament. Now, who will come out of the carriage? It's very clear, right? That's the Queen of England. She steps out. But who steps out with her? Ed Miliband. Right, he uh, uh, clean, cleaned up his hair, new suit, and together they walk into Parliament. Imagine that scene. Now, what is the Queen saying? She doesn't have to say a word, but you know what she says, right? This is my man. This is the Prime Minister. And you have to accept him, right? She's giving her royal approval to this guy. Well, that is the resurrection. The resurrection is God saying, this is my king. This is my son. I, I, I hope that makes sense. It's very powerful, right? I mean, how much more approval can you get than God raising you from the dead? I mean, think about it. There, there's so many religious leaders in the world and throughout history. So many people who've said, listen to me, I can tell you about God. Who should we listen to? They all say something else. Who should we listen to? Well, there's only one guy who has been raised from the dead. Only one guy where God has said, well, <laughs> this guy matters, right? If you want to know who you should listen to, well, this guy has divine approval. Which means we, we need to take him seriously, right? If someone has been raised from the dead, surely what he says about God and about himself and about us must be true if God raises him from the dead, if he cares so much about this guy. But it's not just that, right? Because this is, you know, okay, it's a fact. Jesus is the king. But when you read this, it's more than a fact. Because who is this psalm spoken to? It's spoken to a bunch of rebels. It's spoken to people who don't want this king. And God says, uh-uh, this is my king. Right? Jesus is the king, well, I'd say, whether you like it or not, right? this is the king. Whether you like it or not, uh, whether governments like it or not, whether other religions like it or not, this is the king. That's what the resurrection says. You may kill him, uh -uh. no, this is my king, and just bring him back to life. This king won't be rejected, this king is my king. And so the resurrection, it's a very confrontational message, right? It's very political. It's very challenging. I mean, that's why the apostles had to go to prison for this. I mean, they didn't go to prison for saying death is defeated and, and sin is over. And of course, that's true. That's glorious. But that doesn't threaten anyone. But if you say, well, Jesus is the king and you're not, then people don't like it. That's when you have to go to prison. Uh, we see it today. You know, there are some countries around the world where the government wants to control what is being said in churches. Like in North Korea, you've got an official church, but <laughs> you don't get the whole Bible there. And one of the taboo things is the resurrection. And I know some Christians who think, why? You know, eternal life, what's wrong with that? Why is that threatening? Well, to be frank, the North Korean government understands the resurrection. They know this, this is a threat because 
You know, if the resurrection is true, then the rulers of the earth need to kiss Jesus' feet. Right? They need to fall down and kiss Jesus. And that's not what they like, because they want the power themselves. They want to have absolute authority. And, this, and God is saying in the resurrection, no, uh-uh. This is my king, whether you like it or not. I hope you see that, right? This is a, it's a challenging claim. It's not a fact, it's a claim. A claim on the whole world, a claim on all of our lives. It draws a line, and you're going to be with Jesus or against him. That's what the resurrection says. Well, when Peter preached this message, what, well, people asked, what shall I do? If this is true, right? If Jesus raised and, and he's the king, what should we do? Oh, okay, well, the first thing, I guess, from this psalm, obviously, is, is surrender. Right? That's what the kings of the earth are told. Well, if this really is the king, well, serve the Lord, right? Be wise. And I think for many of us, if, if we're not Christians, God wants to say, well, look, almost surrender. Stop living your own way. But that sounds quite scary, right? It sounds really scary, this king. You, you want to flee away from him. Actually, did you notice the last sentence of this psalm? L- look at verse 12 again. Kiss his son, or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. But then, blessed are all who take refuge in him. Blessed. You can actually be blessed, and blessed means, yeah, supremely happy, incredibly happy, if you take refuge in him. I mean, you read this psalm, you want to take refuge from him. I mean, but, but where can you go, right? He's the king of the whole world. Want to go to Mars? No, you can take refuge in him. You can come to him, because this king, well, yes, he rules, but he also came and and died for you. When the people were rejecting him, actually he was dying for their sins. And he died for your sins. And and when you come to him for refuge, he he welcomes you. And he accepts you. And he he, he wants to have you back and be on his side again. It's wonderful grace, right? In the midst of all this challenge, you know, you can be blessed if you come to Jesus, if you take refuge in him. And if you haven't done that yet, Please do. Uh, Come and talk to me if you want to know more. How can I take refuge in Jesus? Or ask a Christian you you came with. But you can take refuge in Jesus. But if we've done that, if we are on Jesus' side, what should we do? I think with a king, well, be loyal. That's a big application. Be loyal. In, In different ways. Certainly with how I live my life. I mean, I see verse 3, and and that's me, right? Uh, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. I so often, I just want to do things my way, because I like it my way. Actually, if I get that Jesus has been raised from the dead, and he's the king, well, I I don't want to do things, I shouldn't want to do things my way, right? He knows things better than me. His ways are good, I, I should go his way. That's one part. But also be loyal, well, in this world, right? Because we live in a world, this psalm says, that doesn't want Jesus, that rejects him. And that's not always easy as a Christian. There's a lot of pressure because, as we've seen, 
as a Christian, you, you're a threat. Right? In the West, who is the king in the West? Well, it's yourself, right? I get to define who I am. Uh, I get to define how I live. If you're a Christian, people know you don't believe that. You believe that Jesus is the king. And people find that threatening, which is why there's a lot of pressure on Christians to just keep quiet and don't say anything and let people do what they want. And, but this psalm says no, right? Jesus is the king. And so you will need to hold to his standards about marriage and sexuality and all those kind of things. Jesus is the king, lovingly, gently, but, yeah, be loyal. And there's other countries, right, where the, where, where the government wants all the power. Uh, you've got a North Korea, uh, Uzbekistan. And, again, they see Christians as a threat because... Yeah, Jesus has been raised. Jesus is the king and they should kiss his feet. Yeah, no wonder. Of course, Christians are no threat. Right? We, we don't want to overthrow any government. Jesus will do that when he comes. But, they, yeah, but that means we don't, we don't give total allegiance to governments, to states, to bosses, to anyone. Only to Jesus. That's what it means if Jesus is the king, if he's raised from the dead. And again, that will bring persecution and pressure. But this psalm says, I guess we should be loyal, right? He is our king, no one else. We ultimately look to verse 9, right? Even if it's hard now, but whose side do you want to be on? Again, right? here's the kings of the earth. Here's Jesus. Which side do you want to be on, right? You want to, we want to be with Jesus. I think, yeah. So yeah, surrender, <clears throat> take refuge, be loyal. And finally, I, I hope when you hear this, you, you want to warn people, right? If Jesus really is the king, well, what's his job description, verse 9? He's going to come and judge. Again, that's what the apostle said. Here is Paul later in Athens. God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Psalm 2, right? Jesus was raised. Well, that means he's going to come and judge. But why does Paul tell that not to gloat at people? He tells that because he loves people and he wants them to come to Jesus. And I hope we want to do that. If we get who Jesus is, if we believe he's risen from the dead, then... Well, everyone needs to hear. And everyone, right? the ends of the earth. For everyone in the world, there, there's two ways. They can go their own way to destruction or they can be supremely happy and blessed if they come to Jesus. And, and I think that's what we want for everyone. So I, I think that's, that's what it means, right? If we get that Jesus is raised from the dead, well, this is what we want to do. And I, I hope... We think Jesus is worth that. That's a lot to think about. I will think about it in a moment after the song. But now maybe the, uh, let me pray while the music team comes up. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we worship you. We give ourselves to you because you are the king. Risen from the dead. 
with all authority and all power. Help us to see you as you are and to live with you as King. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's